0: Hello everyone and welcome to GripLock Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor. Uh, and we got quite the show today. We had a lot that went down last week with the OTB Open. Um, and then we also had a pretty interesting Paige Pierce interview over on the Nick and Matt show. Yeah, um, I got a lot of talking points out of that. And then we'll be taking a look at U.S. Women's. Um, and obviously have a little Trevor's trivia sprinkled in there. And to make that call that... Um, be honest with you, I don't exactly remember what it was. Oh, yeah, a very interesting to make that call. Okay. One that if I was in the scenario, I don't know if I would know the right answer. But luckily, <laughs> right. the PDGA provides us with the right answer. So, before we whatever get, answer they make up. Yeah. <laughs> before we get too far into the show, I want to highlight yet another review. Uh, again, if you're listening over on Apple Podcasts, um or any platform that has a review system please go ahead and leave us a review we really appreciate it uh we read each and every one of them and we've used it to make a lot of changes here um even heck the setup is partially due to reviews and y'all letting us know what you like and what you dislike but this one comes from nick s 215 uh the title is greatest disc golf podcast wow so that's gonna be our new i'm gonna introduce <laughs> the show say welcome to the greatest disc golf podcast according to nick yeah, um yours. Yeah, we have a source now. (laughs) He said, I absolutely love listening to these podcasts every week. Foundation got me really into disc golf and taught me a lot to help advance my game. Thank you, Hunter and Trevor, for continuing to put a smile on my face every week. Hashtag bogey bros. Nice. Those just make you feel good, you know? Yeah. That's how I like starting my Wednesday mornings. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we needed that before we started this show.
1: Maybe we won't won't argue for the first 20 minutes this time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will not make that mistake again. Well, well, what ended up last week? Well, we ended up realizing as we like talked about it more, the day went on. I just miss miss uh, represented or presented by initial point because it wasn't meant to be a debate between me and you. I was right. just trying to talk to Connor. Yeah, and so I misrepresented. We agreed. If you had if die. you had
1: just started with your main point and just presented that, I would have just agreed with you. Yeah, which
0: ninety five percent of the people listening probably don't know my main point because when I listen <laughs> back to my argument, I don't even know what I was saying um, <laughs> because I wasn't I wasn't planned to argue. I was planned to just bring it up to Connor you and then just move to, on. You got to
1: be able to improv, man.
0: Well, obviously, I'm apparently not very good at that. My but the main point of it was that not necessarily the top, like the top has reached their ceiling so okay
1: yeah let's not even talk about it
0: i was worried about the the lower okay we're not going to get into the argument i just want to present my point so that everyone knows what i was saying okay the top has reached your ceiling so i'm worried about the stroke separation as the lower end gets closer to them the stroke separation is not going to be there yes sure okay that was it and i feel like if i would have said that that's fine i think you're right yeah yeah but i didn't say that so (laughs) uh let's get into the otb open we're just gonna go straight into the mpo results We had Eagle McMahon taking it down by four strokes over James Conrad and AB tied for second. Does that surprise you? Like, we watched the tournament. We talked about the tournament. But hearing Eagle and then James and AB, when I read that, I was like, that can't be right. Like, I watched this tournament. Yeah.
1: um, James is hung around. I do think that... A, a big reason for uh, a lot of the guys that actually, I mean, AB just kind of, he was, I think he was in third, wasn't he? Going into the last round, third or fourth? Yeah, he was on the lead card. He was right there. So that's not surprising. I mean, because, I mean, it, it was good for him to be able to play a decent enough thir- like final round because we know that he can be really good in early rounds. Um, and James has been hanging around in events. He's having a pretty decent season. Yeah, he really is. Um, I didn't, really see any coverage of him to know how he was attacking that course but I think he
0: was on chase car the final round
1: yeah i think i mean he has that long backhand turnover that probably helped a bit um and he has some pretty good speed control as well but i think it has to do a lot with a lot of the guys that we would have expected to sit in those spots the paul ricky and calvins they were all trying to make a push on the final day yeah um calvin got even got pretty close before finally making some bogeys down the stretch but I think it's just because they were make all making a push and it cost them strokes because of how aggressive they were playing. Cause yeah. that that's the type of course where if you want to play ultra aggressive and really go for it, you absolutely can and it can cost you.
0: Yeah. Well that's what I was gonna say. Is I think what the thing was was like the storylines all weekend were looking at Ricky, Calvin, Paul, um, and like looking at what they were doing chasing the lead. And so like It was almost, to me at least, watching it was almost like a quiet second place for James and AB. Yeah, it was. Because I didn't really hear their name mentioned much, and so when I went to write it down, in my head I was thinking, oh, Eagle won, and I think Ricky and Calvin, and then Paul slipped up. And then I saw James and AB, which Ricky and Calvin I think were one stroke behind them in the tie for fourth. But still, I was like, wait a minute, how did James and AB get there? Right, Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. It just seemed weird to me. I just for some reason I
1: completely missed it's, where they were doing that. It's good. funny because I looked at the payout to this morning, and when I when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because I saw the winner made five thousand, which was like, "Oh, that's pretty good." And and then I saw the very next pay slot was twenty eight hundred dollars. I was like, "No way!" I was like, "They did a really sick drop like in the pay scale." And then die. I realized it was because it was a tie for yeah. second. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I quickly deflated. <laughs> some of our
0: listeners might not understand how ties work. As far as payout goes, they so basically yeah. like a tie for second. They add second place and third place together and then divide it by two. Yeah, there was a so.
1: lot of massive ties in that yeah. whole Like there were like a ton of people that all made like eight hundred sixty five dollars. There's like a bunch of them.
0: Yeah. So that's one. Um Well, I do have like some stuff about the course design on here, but that was one thing where I, this course was very interesting to me. I really liked the design of it. But uh, and I'm sure you'll expand on this a little bit. I heard the main complaint I heard was there's too many rollers. rollers, The the course, I mean, it's a a golf course that they put some low ceilings and stuff on to where the roller a lot of times was the best play if you wanted to get way down the fairway. Yeah. Um. But what's interesting to me is like if you look just straight up scoring wise, this course seemed pretty great. As far as we only had one player average ten under or better Mm -hmm. the tournament and he won. Yeah. But on the flip side of that coin. It didn't accomplish, in my mind at least, it didn't quite accomplish what you normally, like when we talk about courses getting harder, uh, one of the main reasons is the the scoring separation. Yeah. This, it almost seemed kind of like a jumbled mess. Like a lot of players were shooting, like it was a hard course, but not necessarily hard if that makes any sense at all because it was like there was a lot of people shooting very similar scores yeah to where it, it almost accomplished the same thing separation wise as an easy course if that yeah. makes if you get does that make sense i get you i get what
1: you're saying but i think you have to realize that on the easy course that happens because it's birdie or die on these courses like even though that may happen i thought personally i thought the score separation looked pretty good as far as like the best players rose to the top. Yes, that's kind of the important thing. when yes. you think about like score separation. Yeah, it was close because it was like uh, we had a guy at twenty under, then we had a bunch of guys at nineteen under, then eighteen under. Like it was close, but the best players were the ones rising to the top. So that was what important what was really important about that. Um, also, um, yeah, what was I going to say? What were you saying about the score separation just then?
0: <laughs> I was just saying that it there wasn't a ton. Oh, when I was got saying, oh yeah, board. so
1: like on an easy course, like. It, the only way, reason that happens where it gets jumbled is because it's just so birdie or die that like a bad break here and there. Um, and a, a and a, typically uh, in those courses, there's a lot more par threes. I feel like on a yeah. course like this where there's a lot more like different options in shot selection and there's a lot more par fours and fives and OB and things like that. You're forced to really play golf and like manage the course. So I think it's, a lot more fair. The roller thing was my biggest issue. And that's probably just a personal like preference thing, I guess. Like if you like just watching guys lay down rollers, personally like I think a good the problem with this course is not that there were a lot of chances to throw a roller if you wanted to. It's there was too many holes where it you had to throw a roller. Yeah, it was your best shot. It was, it was your best, best shot. shot. I think on a good disc golf course, there should probably be a maximum of two, maybe three holes where roller is your Best shot. It's like it's like a, an occasional thing in the sport of disc golf. I want to see air shots. I think yeah. that's the way the game was meant to be played. You know, they made a disc so they could fly, not so it could roll on the ground. That's why it goes left and right. It's not meant to roll. Well, you know, yes, it yeah. is in the sense that it's circular, but not in the sense that you know
0: the aerodynamics weren't made to be on right, the ground. Exactly.
1: Yet. So yeah, that's that's just my whole thing on it. But I, I thought overall, like the course was was relatively exciting. As far as
0: like if you look at it, if you take out all other courses in the world. Which kind of makes this point irrelevant. Here we go. But if you look at just ball golf courses, I thought it was a very well designed ball golf, disc golf hybrid. They
1: definitely did something new because, and I, I even thought this, I feel like I thought this at the previous, because they just changed the layout of this course, right?
0: I'm not fully sure all the changes that were made. I say,
1: because I remember watching the San Francisco Open in previous years and thinking that this is one of the better. Uh, Ball golf disc golf courses there is because yeah a lot of them it just ends up being a hyzer fest uh, so I like I respect that they try to do something different and yeah. and honestly this is probably better to be on this side of the extreme than that's just what I was thinking a bunch of wide open hyzers at yeah. least it's something different for them. this
0: was more interesting to watch for me than heck even say last weekend in the, the challenge at Goat Hill because the challenge at Goat Hill there there was a lot of wide open tee shots and there was yes there was a lot of ob and like danger brought in mm-hmm. but a lot of shots were just like. Throw really far, yeah. Try to be down there, and then worry about where you land. Right, that's that's like
1: the the only defense of those really open courses are um, really long holes because they just have to make them long, and then like putting baskets on hillsides right next to bunkers, and like that's that's like okay, I guess. Sometimes I think it's a little over the top. It's
0: cool, but you see it
1: every time you see a ball golf course. Yeah, it gets a little repetitive. I like. Like there are plenty of ball golf courses out there, and like heck, we even saw we just saw one over uh, at the Blue Ridge Tour event.
0: Oh, Thorn Spring at
1: Thorn Spring, where there's enough trees on a lot of ball golf courses, at least, or the ones they should be picking for these types of events, and other you know natural <laughs> obstacles that you can make a good disc golf course. Now, I understand the biggest difficulty in those ball golf courses is making them loop in a way that you're not there's not a huge stretches of land in between holes or they're not intersecting, but usually there's enough foliage and trees and and things of that nature to like create a disc golf course that, you know, has defense other than just length and bunkers and greens. Cause I don't know about everybody else, but like there, I understand like it's a great option for the sport of disc golf to use ball golf courses because of they can be rented out. And they're just big plots of land to do whatever you want. So, like, it, it makes sense. But to me, it lo- it's a little, like, I don't know if I want to say gimmicky or just kind of a little cheesy that, like, we're playing at the top level of our sport on another sports course. And, like, our OB is their green. And, like, it just looks a little weird to me.
0: Yeah, I'm. I don't know. And I understand it is, like
1: it's it's what we got to do right now, but like long term, like I don't no, really want to be playing on ball. Absolutely, long
0: term. <laughs> we were actually just talking about this the other day. Long term, courses will almost have to eventually at the top of the sport be on like private just disc golf courses. Yeah, because if not, you just don't have control. Because even this tournament, right, the OTB Open. Let's say that next year the golf course goes. You know what now. Yeah, exactly. You can't be here. Right. Or let's say like the public park, we are just talking about the memorial. The mm-hmm. memorial back, you know, what is it, March? One of the more iconic courses in our sport. It's irrelevant now. We can't We can't really use it for a number of reasons. One, we outgrew the course, the mm-hmm. sport did. Two, if they want to make an XL layout, they have to get approval, uh, which they did for the All-Star Tournament. They have to get approval, but it was only, what, nine holes? Mm-hmm. So you couldn't really use they that for an actual twice, tournament. Yeah. They have to get approval from the park to actually fully design that. And the third issue was they couldn't actually get full control of the park. So the memorial yeah. still happened, but it couldn't be an elite series because the Pro Tour wanted full control of the park and they couldn't get it. So that's where issues of even like public parks, you still don't own that. You still right. don't, like, you, you might be able to rent it out, but like New London, for instance, here. Um, the course that's probably the closest course to being a pro tour caliber course around us. It certainly is pro tour caliber. <laughs> yeah. If we were running a, a pro tour event there year after year and it's in a, like industrial park, right? Mm. If some business comes in and offers the County $2 million for the lot of the plot of land that is holes nine through 16, the disc golf course is gone. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we, when it's on public publicly owned land, there's only so much you can do at the elite series level and then like we were even talking about usdgc
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah that uh, that course is the best example of like history on a course and you show yeah. up to a course it's and most iconic course yeah and you just know it it just feels prestigious because yeah. of when you go walk up to hole 17 everyone's thinking about the big blow ups on 17 right. every year i see it i think of johnny McRae. you know when he literally just had to pray and hope he landed on it like not figuratively pray like yeah. he literally just stood on the tee pad and prayed like I just threw my fifth putter. Ob, what am i yeah. about to do, that's iconic. Yeah, but do we really think 50 years from now that Winthrop University hasn't developed enough to permanently damage that course in some yeah. way?
1: Or like, yeah, it's like one of those things. Like if Winthrop is thriving and develops, and they're gonna probably use that land. It's a lot of land. Yeah, or if they go under for some reason and have to sell that land, then they're
0: not going to probably keep the disc golf. Yeah, and the, s- the next thing you know, what if it? What if that happens 30 years from now? The real... And then out of nowhere, boom, the most prestigious disc golf event that's been going on it for 70, 80 years is just gone.
1: The only like hope would be that if like Winthrop ever have to, had to sell or something, that like disc, somebody in disc golf was big enough that they could buy it and keep it disc golf. <laughs> but like, what are the odds?
0: But yeah, the other thing I was going to say is right now it's almost like without private courses you almost have like the what you were just explaining where we're playing on real golf Mm -hmm. courses where you have the green and you have this weird thing of like we're playing on someone else's territory yeah or you have the other side where we're playing in parks and you have like sometimes like just spectators walking on sidewalks and you're like oh well we gotta wait there's a spectator up ahead or there's a you know woman walking her dog just oblivious to a pro tour event and just like it i wild sometimes that'll happen where they're just like walking up through the fairway mm-hmm. and if they got through the spotters then they're there and it's just like that's kind of where the sport is right now yeah until miss, there's yeah. until there's like enough really high level like maple hill don't really have to worry about that going anywhere unless the Course owners for some reason sold, or right. and that's
1: the case even in ball golf, yeah. Like, it, it is the owners, it's yeah. up to them. And,
0: and even if the owners sold, they still have a championship level disc golf course that brings in some revenue. Chances are it's still gonna stay around, yeah. So, courses like that now we can Maple Hill Open will slowly become more, it's already is, but more and more and more prestigious because you're gonna see it every year and it's not going anywhere, right? Uh, but that's definitely something that I think as the sport grows, it's gonna move the top level of the of the um sport is going to move that direction i don't think the lower level will because it makes too much sense for like local parks and stuff like that to throw in disc golf because they're already mowing that area they're already like it's not like it's adding a lot of extra expenses but it's giving the local community something else another yeah. outlet so i don't think disc golf will ever become a fully pay-to-play sport but i no. do think the very top end in our iconic courses almost need to yeah just for the the sake of developing the pro side of our sport yeah um but yeah it's also something that's very hard in disc golf right now is like talking about the pro side and as it develops like in golf it like is all the same if that makes sense where like there's not a public golf course if there is i don't know of it what do you you mean like a free one you're talking about yeah like yeah. every golf course I know of, because of how much land it takes up and everything is a pay to play. Right. Well Whereas, in
1: golf, the the term public is just that you're allowed to pay to play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> public yeah. or private where you have to be a member of the club.
0: But what I'm thinking is like in golf there's the like like the master's course, you don't get yeah. to play that. Right. As a normal human being.
1: Not even not even you have to be invited as a member. Yeah.
0: So what I'm thinking is in disc golf, the master's course, right? So master's course in golf is like I could never play it. Me personally. There's no way I could ever play that course. Yeah. That will in disc golf be the pay to play course, right? Where I can play it as a normal disc golfer. I'd have to pay to play it. And then the normal courses, like all the golf courses around you, where you have to pay 20, 30, 40, whatever bucks around, those will be the public parks. So in this disc is like golf. a step down, basically. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Because I a lot of times when we talk about things, people are like thinking that it's going to apply directly to them. And it's more of like an indirect thing to farther the pro side of our sport. Because then that'll make the pro side more professional because it gives the pro tour full control over it. You don't have at Goat Hill golfers coming on to the course while FPO's still playing because you have full control over it. It's a private property. The yeah. only people there are disc golfers. Yeah. You have full control over everything surrounding the event, who's allowed on, who's not. That's fully up to you. Uh, it's just going to advance the sport a lot more. And you don't have to worry about, oh, well, yeah, he just skipped right off the golf green. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, Hmm, weird. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. Uh, one other storyline that I want to talk about, it kind of goes back to the rollers, though, is everyone seemed to be throwing a lot of rollers to have their success. But one player, he mentioned this in the Nick and Macho interview, was Aaron gossich This was kind of a breakout event for him. He found himself on lead card. His hot round was round two. I believe he shot like an 11 down. Mm-hmm. He only threw one roller that round. Yeah. Which was well, pretty surprising.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was saying, didn't he say he had like a ridiculously massive... Sp- Forehand.
0: i think he's from colorado and if you know anything about colorado golfers they they can apparently just throw 600 feet when they pop out the womb for some reason um but no yeah he yeah he just said the final round he said he threw more rollers just because he was watching other people do it and was like that shot makes too much sense for me not to try so it does go back to the course design but what i was more pointing at is like it was it was possible to shoot really well out there without throwing a roller sure Uh, but this is a great event for aaron um one thing that i thought was very first off he's unsponsored he said since the tournament has happened, he's been reached out, like several companies have reached out to him. So he'll probably be sponsored by the end of this week or next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing that I thought was really cool is the Nick and Matt show was asking where he was at. And he said he was back home. And they're like, oh, when would you drive in? And he's like, well, I drove overnight because I had to be at work on Monday. Yeah. And like, I just had to work. He works at a bike shop as a bike mechanic. He also just graduated with a computer science degree. And so he's hoping to find a job that allows him to tour. Basically, his job said, yeah, you know, you can take the time off and go see what you're doing. So he's going to play all the pro tour events and everything. But I just thought it was very, I don't know, it kind of shows you that initial grind. Yeah. Of, and in my head, doing it the somewhat right way where he's, he doesn't have to rely on disc golf yet. He has some stable income back home. He's able to every week just go back as much as he can, work it out, work through the week, and then go play on the tour. Yeah. And it shows his work ethic. Because I mean, very easily you could have somehow called out or something because you're in California and you gotta get back to Colorado to work at nine AM the next mm-hmm. morning. Like and you just came in like what do you come in, like eighth place or something at yeah. a pro tour event? Made some I good mean, money, yeah. I'm having a hard time showing up at work the next day. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I agree. Yeah. It's but, impressive.
0: Yeah, so I'm super excited to see kind of where where he goes as the season goes on and what develops with him. Uh, one thing I wanted to do, too, with the OTB open before we get over to the FPO side is do a little standings check-in on the Pro Tour standings. I feel like we haven't done this. Yeah. Uh, so, right now, Calvin and Ricky are lead- leading the field by a lot. So, Calvin's in first at 344 points. Ricky's in second at 341 points. Eagle is in third at 276 points. 70 points behind Calvin and Ricky. Paul is in fourth at 255 points. So, ninety. 90- Paul's 90 points out of first place kind of crazy uh and then nico's in fifth at 235 um first off this kind of speaks to on the follow-up i was talking about how
1: wasn't there an event though that paul was there a silver series paul wasn't at that ricky and calvin were at yeah but
0: silver series don't really affect it that that much because they're worth like one fourth of points or something like that. I mean, it affects it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, sure.
1: it's definitely put something into that game. Um,
0: but that'll kind of, as the season goes on, uh, I think they only take like your top eight finishes or something like that. So it'll right. kind of even itself out. Right. But this kind of goes to the back to the follow up. Right now, Ricky, I think is undisputed. Most people will say Ricky's the top player in the world right now. Yeah, I would agree. Um, on the follow up, I was saying how Calvin. Always seems to find his way into like second or third. Yeah, and in a season like this with so much parity, that could technically make you the best player in the world. Yeah, if you're losing to a different person every week, and you're just—I also saw a stat today where Eagles won four of the last eleven Pro Tours, which is pretty crazy.
1: What four of the is that? It's this. Is this it past, goes into last season. Yeah, OTB Vegas. What did he win last year? He won. Um, D-Glow, right? He won D-Glow last year and he won another one back to back, didn't he?
0: He won uh, shoot out of wild. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the four out of the well, last Well, yeah, five.
1: when when Eagle gets hot, I mean, he goes on tears for sure.
0: Yeah, but I mean, uh, this kind of it doesn't fully prove the point because there's a lot more to take in consideration than just the pro tour, but Calvin is just you know, has he he's won here and there, but he's not consistently winning and dominating. But he's consistently finishing at the top. Yeah. And that's separating him a little bit from Ricky.
1: Him and Ricky are the most consistent players in disc golf. And the only difference is Ricky just ends up on top more often. Yeah. Calvin just. I. I'm not really sure what it is. It might even just be that he's just unlucky a little bit, but Calvin just does not seem to get as many wins as you would think he would.
0: Yeah, well, I think part of it too might just be' just hard to win these days. The experience on tour. Yeah, that's true because Ricky's been there. doing this at the top a lot longer. so Ricky kind of there's something about knowing how to win. Not yeah. that Calvin doesn't. But when you've done it enough times and you're in those positions again and again, it just becomes like second nature of what you yeah. need to do to win. I think that's Very something true. that Calvin will learn kind of as the time goes on. He's putting himself in those situations. He's like, yeah, last time I screwed it up because I got too aggressive in this point where realistically if I wait a little bit longer, then I can get aggressive. Very true. And next thing you know, he's the one dominating and winning. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to look at as far as standing goes is the kind of – Cut line for the Pro Tour Finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the top 32 and MPO get in. Players on the bubble right now. Uh, well, not really on the bubble. This is the bottom end of who's getting in. Raven Newsom is in 32, or is in 32nd in 32. <laughs> exactly <heck laughs> same. In 32nd with a two point lead on 33rd. So he's very close, kind of on that line. Yeah. Brody Smith has now moved into 31st, mm-hmm. officially making it into the cut. He wasn't 37th before this weekend. Uh, jumped him up to 31st. He has a four point lead over 33rd. So, again, not a big lead. Uh, And then Philo's in 30th with a 7-point lead on 33rd. So, uh, one bad performance from these three players. You could see them kind of shift in and out. But as of right now, Raven, Brody, and Philo would be getting into the Pro Tour finale. That
1: that bottom few spots will come down to the final event before uh, the Pro... Which I saw on the... uh, I don't know, because they they, they just called it the Pro Tour finale last year, didn't they? Mm -hmm. I saw this year they're calling it the Tour Championship. Yeah. Well, I think
0: not. last year they did, they called it that, but we always referred to it as the Pro Tour Okay, reality. okay. I, was... I think they just started dubbing it the Tour Championship. Right, which is way better. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, on this list, assuming all these players play out, I expect all of them to move up. Uh, one thing I think that might hurt Philo is if he does more commentary. Yeah. Because we've seen him be brought onto live commentary before. If that happens, you know, that could hurt him <laughs> mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. You know, it's probably a business move where you're guaranteed X amount for being in the booth. And, you know, if you know I'm not guaranteed that much if I play, you know, as you get kind of. If you're. Philo has a great voice for commentary. I personally really like when Philo does commentary. If you're in his shoes, there might be some events. Yeah, it's debatable. I don't really like them. But if you're in his shoes and you have that offer on the table and you know there's some events where this course just doesn't fit your strengths, it's a, a smarter move to just be like, hey, like, I normally don't play well at this course. I'm guaranteed, you know, 20th place cash if I yeah. go and do commentary. It makes a lot more sense for me yeah, to commentary commentary? No,
1: Yeah, commentary makes sense. This is a good gig for a lot of those guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, though. But I expect Raven and Brody as the season go- goes on to move up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Brody recently has been finishing in like 26th to 20th, I feel like, most pro tour events. Yeah. So he's going to keep kind of slowly chipping his way up. Raven is a, a little bit more hit-, hit or miss, but he has the talent to pop off for a top 10 here and there yeah so i think when that happens once or twice that'll really uh definitely bump him up so let's go over to fpo one of the big storylines coming in was Paige pierce's return mm-hmm. uh, and she returned she won uh she yeah. took it down over katrina allen in second it was kind of a your typical cajun and pat that's what we're calling it cajun, <laughs> cajun pat, pat battle uh, Pat. That's funny. <laughs> and then jessica weiss came in third here Uh, so now that the tournament's over, what do you think of Paige's performance and what it means for kind of the rest of her season?
1: Yeah. Uh, this is huge for Paige. This is what we had been waiting for for a long time. And it's impressive because not only did she, I mean, the first round was okay, but then, you know, played a really strong, uh, second round, but then towards the end of the second round kind of like let up a little bit, and Kat got back into it Yeah, with a really strong finish in that eagle on 18. So when that happened, I was kind of like, okay, now we have a real test because now she doesn't get a comfortable lead to play with. She's going to have to show up. And on the final round, not only did she have to show up, but Kat challenged. It's Kat even- ended
0: up shooting the course record.
1: Right. So Paige had to match you know, what, what Kat was bringing and hold her off. And she was able to do that and get the win. So it was a very strong showing. And I think that that surely that has to be enough momentum for her to like get her confidence back. And I would expect that as long as, I mean, it's tough to say, you know, where her mindset's at. Like if she were to take another bad finish, if it could knock her down again, Uh it's just something we just is unfamiliar territory with Paige Pierce, but I would like to think, I mean, I'm certainly not going to bet against her in the next event until I see anything else, but I mean, she certainly looked back.
0: Yeah, I mean, in that final round, Katrina Allen was storming back a little bit. I think Kat ended up shooting 10 down, which was the course record. Paige shot a 9 down, and realistically, going into 18, they were tied. And so Katrina Allen needed the eagle. I think she got the birdie. Paige just took a par because she could. Yeah. Um, it's not like Paige was in a great position to birdie and like chose not to. She just... I think if she really was focused more on the course record, they probably could have both shot 10 down. Yeah. Paige was focused on winning, shot nine. But regardless, to have to go out that final day and Katrina Allen demands basically a course record pace out of you yeah. to win and be able to put that up, I agree. I think that was a big a big thing for Paige's confidence, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, she talked about on the Nick and Matt show when she was in Hawaii, she was really struggling with her putting and trying to figure it out. She said at one point she just sat there and stared at her putter and was like, Paige, you literally designed this putter. For your putt like stop thinking about it so much just putt the way you do and you designed it to go in the basket like you literally made this putter for you that's one way to think about it yeah i was like i, re- I like listened to that i was like what a flex man that's it <laughs> like imagine if i'm like hunter you know I don't like know what kind of putter you have to design for us <laughs> to get it in the basket hunter, you put an electromagnet inside of this disc if you just throw it it's going to- no but like she's like yeah like i designed this to work with my putting style why am i trying to figure anything out
1: how big of a magnet do we need
0: is that a video idea right there?
1: That's what I was just thinking. Like, How
0: big of a magnet would it put in a disc to make us good at putting?
1: Can If chains are like like galvanized, like dipped, can they? It'd be more it true makes... the pole. Right.
0: The, the whole basket's metal. I mean, it's got to hit something. Okay. Incoming video <laughs> idea. <laughs> write that down. <laughs> Forget your point. I'm thinking about magnets. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was a very interesting point of like, yeah. Paige, you literally designed this for your game. Just throw the disc. I'm like.
1: I find that a little bit like, in, like I mean, okay, it's just an understable putter, though. Like, <laughs> like all
0: right. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> Another thing I found interesting about the Nick and Matt show interview is Matt asked her, where would you rate yourself? One being the worst performance you ever had, ten being the best. She put herself at a nine for this weekend.
1: I think it probably just was like a big relief and felt really important for her, so yeah. I agree with that rating. It was very important for her to get back on track.
0: Yeah, I, was say, I think performance-wise... From what I've seen out of Paige, this was maybe like a seven uh, on her yeah. scale of how what she's capable. of. That final of.
1: round was was really the impressive. The final round was good,
0: and because I think part of it in my head is like the second round she was like twenty five percent C one X putting was or that something the, like was that. that the first she from the, the second round. I think that was the second round. I think it was the first oh, for, regardless. One of the rounds she was like twenty five percent circle one X, and overall for the tournament she was like mid sixties. I think it was like yeah. 67%, but it's just because
1: of that. It's because of that 25%. Yeah. But
0: that's just something where, when I'm looking at this whole tournament, I'm like, Well, there's a bunch of strokes right there. Like, you expect Paige to be 80 to 90%, right. and for her to be like a nine, I think that immediately shows you how important this win and this performance was to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's why it made it feel like such a great performance is because it, it just kind of unlocked it. So, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking the rest of the season. We might end up seeing what we thought we were going to see. They are who we thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> we might end up seeing what we thought we were going to see, which is a, a dominant Paige Pierce. Although Katrina Allen has been playing very well, Katrina is quietly having like a, an
1: amazing season. It's just a bummer that like somebody just keeps getting hot each week. And yeah, but out it's how to it's, a, beat her. it's the same
0: thing like I was talking about with Calvin. Where it's very she, similar. If she's always in second and she's losing to a different person every week, it's hard to say she's not the best player in the world. Right. So. As of right now, with how the season's been going, I would say Katrina Allen's the best FPO player in the world. Well, I can't say the world, because we haven't seen the Europeans mixed in. Uh, Unfortunately, we might not get to. So, on the Pro Tour, I would say Katrina Allen's probably the best player right now.
1: Um, She's the one to bet on, for sure.
0: But, Paige has an easy chance to kind of rewrite that as the rest of the season goes on. Mm -hmm. Sure, Uh, there's a lot to play for still. Yeah. And let's take a look at the standings, actually. We have Katrina Allen in first at 369 pages in second at 349 kona pandas in third 318 and then it drops off a little bit missy gannon's in fourth at 282 jessica weiss uh at 274 and for the fpo there's 16 get into the, f- the the tour championship yeah uh so we have heather young and kat mersh are tied to that line um on 16th but cynthia Ric- Ricciotti, i believe is how you say her last name and valerie mandihano are right behind them so uh, a lot of names that you recognize kind of towards that bottom uh, four. So it's going to be interesting, kind of how that fluctuates yeah. and moves on. And the final thing I want to look at at OTB is uh, I want to just want to look at the numbers here. Uh, the live the live round was pretty. I mean, the live coverage this weekend I was very impressed with. Um, I you obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know how much we love live disc golf. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to watch things when it happens and as it transpires. Just to me, brings a different emotion to it. But I wanted to just kind of look. where Where is live disc golf right now? So, there's about 9,000 concurrent viewers. 9,000 people watching at the same time on YouTube. And I asked the Pro Tour how many were on uh, Disc Golf Network. They said about 6,000 at the same time. So, about 15,000, we'll say peak. It might have fluctuated a little bit. 15,000 peak concurrent watchers. All in all, pretty good. You yeah. know what I mean? For sure. disc golf right now. But when you look at it from a broader scope, it's a little confusing. I don't want to say confusing. It's a little surprising. Yeah. So the live final round had 60,000 views on YouTube. That number is important just because of how YouTube calculates views to where, you know, I might have been a viewer for like the first 10 minutes and then you hop on so the concurrent viewers can be like a little bit off. Those 15,000 probably made up about 60,000 people. Um, And the same thing goes on like a Jomez coverage. If I hop on and watch one whole... I still count as a viewer, whereas you watch all nine holes on the front nine, you still count as a viewer. Right, yeah. uh, and even if I come back in, another view, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, if I keep re-watching it. So we can't look at it strictly as we have like this many people watching disc golf because there's going to be a lot of fluctuation of like, oh, what the heck's this? Click on, oh, it's Frisbee golf. Click off. Right. That's a view. Um, but so the the final round had 60,000 views on the pro tours, the live stream on their YouTube. The final front nine on Jomez, currently, as of last night, had 160,000 views. Right. So 100,000 views more. I just want to bring that up because it's just such a drastic disparity. And of those 100,000 more people, which really, it might be 150,000 more. Because yeah. you don't know how many people watch the live round that also watch Jomez. But mm-hmm. we'll just say the 100,000 increase. Yeah. 100,000 more people. I just am curious why they are choosing post-produced over live right. like what is the i mean yeah reasoning i i think
1: that because you know because you know disc golf is on the weekend you know when they're when they're showing it like the big rounds especially you know i understand that there is a solid portion of people that are watching post-produced because they are not able to watch live like they're busy and therefore when they go to, and then want to watch it back they're going to go to watch the Maz because it's good coverage Uh, and so like, I understand that, like, that makes sense. That's what, that's what I would do. Like if I missed it, I would, that's probably exactly what I would do. Um, but there's just too, I feel like there's just too many people more on post-produced that there has to be a solid percentage of people that are purposely not watching the live disc golf either because a, they don't know about it. And you got to remember that that's probably still a pretty decent percentage of people. There's probably enough people that are just so brand new to disc golf that they know about Jomez, so they keep checking the Jomez channel for new things, but they're probably not really following the schedule, new things point. are live. So that's a little bit of a percentage, maybe more than we think it is. And then the other part of that per- percentage, the one that like probably frustrates us the most, are the people that are purposely saying, no, I'm just going to wait for Jomez because I like Jomez. I'm not going to watch the live coverage, even though I could watch it. That Those are the ones that confuse well, that, me. That's but what <laughs> confuses me. Yeah. Is,
0: so first off, I love Jomez. You know, I watch Jomez as, like, a highlight thing. Like, if someone pops off and does a crazy round, right. you bet your bottom dollar I'm watching on Jomez. But I saw it live first. Yeah. Uh, because, to me, and maybe this is just, I don't know what it is, but I just, I'm too invested to, even if there's no live coverage, I'm watching on UDisc. Yeah. Because I want to know what happened, when it happened. And, like, I I'll, I can sit there and refresh UDisc and just have that same adrenaline of, like, oh, my word, right. they're on 18. Who's gonna, like, who's going to win? And I'll
1: say, too, like... Because
0: it's going on right then. Even,
1: like, as a fan of the sport, you know, that's whatever as far as wanting to be caught up live. But as a fan of certain players, that's where I really want to be caught up live, to where I'm going to be checking that U-disc even if I can't be seeing the coverage. Because, like, if I'm rooting for Paul and Brody, then, like, I'm going to... I want to know where they're doing out there. Like I And I don't want to wait to see what happens or maybe possibly not even really know because they're not on the post-produced cards. Like I'm going to be checking in and like, and I understand too, like obviously because of what we do, you know, we need to kind of be in the loop with what's happening, but like, it's just, it's just so different than any other sport because yeah, like I know people who, when the NFL season comes along, they will DVR a game that they can't watch and then watch it later. But it's usually like that later that night, or maybe maybe the next day because it's so hard to avoid spoilers, but it's not. It's certainly not a very. It's a very small minority of people. Well, that there's do also that.
0: I think a uh, a uh, in sports like I'm a big Duke fan. Yeah. If I am traveling or something, I can't sit down and watch the Duke game. I'm just watching the ESPN like right. s- the shot by shot like the little they have that basketball court where you can see where yeah. the shots are coming from. I just sit there and stare at it. And I
1: think too, like I think some people probably just haven't given live disc golf a try because I think once you get yourself in and there's not quite enough of a culture around it yet, because like once the social media and like the, like if you fall, if you, I mean, if you watch a round of live disc golf and you get in our live disc golf, uh, discord channel and you experience that once, like you will never go back because like it is so fun to get to interact with people and talk as things are happening.
0: There's a solid chance that you can hear the absolute, chaos that's going on behind us there's construction going on in the unit behind us we filmed we're filming this at like seven in the morning thinking we're gonna beat it and we apparently can't so you know yeah. hopefully it doesn't get too bad they've had jackhammers out there the past few <laughs> days if that starts i don't know what we're gonna do but no i definitely agree with, i think because i it's hard when i talk about this because like i i don't want to sound like i don't appreciate Jomez and Central Coast and Gatekeeper and what they have done for the sport yeah. and what they are currently doing, because I mean Jomez has freaking 250 thousand subscribers. Yeah. Like if I sat here and said that they didn't have a crucial role in getting us to where we are as a sport, I would be just absolutely lying to you. Mm-hmm. But on the same, on the flip side of that token, I also think that a, a big part of the future of the sport is going to be everyone getting behind one avenue. I've heard a lot of people saying that's why isn't that avenue jomez why isn't that issue behind some of those is where does that money go yeah right if jomez sells a coverage sponsor for two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the season none of that's going back to bettering the tour or making it better for the players that is nothing against jomez yeah right i mean it's their business it's their business <laughs> if we sell a sponsor to this podcast none of that goes to the players because yeah it's our business mm-hmm. it's, but if it's the disc golf network It might not go directly to the players, but it's going to the organization that's helping the players, if that makes sense. So that's where my head's always at.
1: And more importantly, sports are meant to be consumed live. Yeah, (laughs) that's why I've
0: seen some people say that we're idiots and that we're wrong and that everything's going towards post-produced. Sports will never be post-produced fully. Never, ever, ever, ever. It's not true. Niche ones like disc golf, yeah, because doing live is very expensive, but we clearly now have enough funding to be able to produce a pretty decent live stream. I mean, it's just, Is a little, it's just
1: ridiculous to think about that. Yeah. Like March Madness, post-produced. Like, man, dude, the Super Bowl I post-produced. I wonder, I
0: wonder who won that. Because uh, also, imagine going into work. March Madness, great example. Imagine going into work Friday after 16 games had happened yeah. Thursday, and they all were released Friday morning. So I watched. I'm a maniac. I watched all of them somehow. Yeah. It's not possible. But let's just say in the scenario it was I watched all of them. You are a casual fan, so you watched three of them. Right. And then I show up and I start talking about it. Since it's post-produced, not everyone's watching at the same time. So now, right. all social media, everything would just be screwed. Because then, like, how can you talk about it? Yeah. Because we even see it in disc golf where people comment spoilers on, like...
1: That's the worst. People
0: comment spoilers on the Pro Tours posts. Just, like, what? Why are you following the Pro Tour if you care that
1: much? If your whole commitment to, like, your, if you were like, listen... I work on the weekends. I can't watch live disc golf, and I really like watching the Joe Mess coverage and like just g- having it happen in real time for me and finding out who wins just then. That is fine. Like that is completely fine. Yeah. But then don't don't force f- it. don't follow accounts that are going to post about it, or just don't even go on social media. Like if you, it's it's their
0: job to post about what's happening. Like, yeah, that is what they do. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what like in other sports, people who record. The Duke versus UNC game. Imagine them going on ESPN and being like, oh my gosh, how did you post the clip of the game winner? Are you kidding me? I didn't <laughs> yeah. watch it yet. Like, like, what? They're it's a business. Not, yeah, it's, ESPN does not cater to you. Yeah. ESPN caters to the masses. Yeah. The Pro Tour, the majority of people who follow them want to keep up with what's currently going on in the Pro Tour. Yeah. So if the Pro Tour was not the first person to post, then like, we would be or right. someone would be, to where mm-hmm. now we can capitalize on that. So now if you want to know exactly what's happened, you're going to go somewhere else, and the Pro Tour is going to miss all that. Yeah. The Pro Tour doesn't cater to the Jomez audience, because the Jomez audience, per se, or the gatekeeper audience, that's not directly making the Pro Tour money. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's just how it works. But I wanted to pose this more so, because I want to talk to you, the audience, and ask what you prefer, live disc golf or post-produced, and why you're choosing one or the other. Uh, Because I think you're right. There's some people who Sunday on the free live round, they just don't have time to watch it, and Mm -hmm. they watch it Monday. But then there is going to be some people who were sitting around the house watching TV anyways that day and just knew the live disc golf was going on and decided to watch Jomez or decided to watch Gatekeeper. That's what I want to know is why is that decision being made? Uh, I'm just curious. And if you're listening on audio, tweet at us. Uh, Tweet at Trevor or myself over on Twitter. Um, and let us know, cause I'm very curious. I just want to kind of start that conversation and, and try to understand it more. Um, because obviously what I think and what Trevor thinks is not the right answer. It's just our opinion on the answer. And, uh, the best way to grow the sport is to start discussions about yeah. why things are the way they are and how to kind of change it if it needs to be changed and all that stuff. And if it's just Trevor and I sitting here, you know, in an echo chamber, <laughs> then we'll never understand what else yeah. is going on. So I want to kind of start that conversation, so make sure you comment or tweet at us and let us know that. But with all that being said, that's all for the OTB Open. Let's head into your favorite segment, voted on by me, Trevor's Trivia. (laughs) All right,
1: so this is funny because I did not know that you were going to talk about the DG Pro Tour uh, rankings, so you now that you've seen them, you probably have a better chance at getting this question right. It's still not going to be a gimme. I did but, not look super in-depth into them. Okay, but, but you're you're definitely going to have a better chance. Okay. And it's just coincidental. So I was – well, actually, this morning, <laughs> I hopped on, and I was curious to see if they had updated any world rankings on the PDGA website. They mm. still haven't.
0: They update it once a year.
1: Right. I don't know why. At the end of the year. It doesn't really make any sense. It never but, does. Um, yeah, so I was like, okay, so wow, we haven't had World, r- world Rankings now for quite a while. Like, they're pretty... don't think they updated them. A-
0: Did they update them last year?
1: No. The end of 2019 is the last time they updated Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, this is interesting because I wonder how this compares to, like, what's really going on right now. So I went to the Pro Tour standings and kind of compared, and so on the end of 2019 World Rankings, there's 20 players there in that, that they have on that front page, and I compared those 20 to mm-hmm. the Pro Tour Rankings. And the question is, there are three players from the current Disc Golf Pro Tour top 10 who are not in the end of the 2019 World Top 20. Jeez. Who are they? Three players. They're in the top 10 in the Pro Tour right now, weren't even in the top 20 in the world based on the PDJ World Rankings at the end of 2019.
0: i trying to think of what, what went down in 2019. Because Calvin Heimberg won his first NT in 2019. So Calvin Heimberg was in there. Who else is in the top ten of the Pro Tour rankings? I mean, I don't think I'm gonna know this because I really paid heavily attention to the top five. So I'm gonna just look, I'm gonna cheat and look at my list here. But Calvin, Ricky, Eagle, Paul, and Nico are definitely yeah. in the top twenty. That's not gonna help me. There's no <laughs> way. So it's the next five. So three of the next five.
1: Yeah. Holy
0: cow! Who would be in the top ten? Who's been? surprisingly popping off it's someone it would have to be oh colton montgomery possibly no he's not in the top 10 right now what are you thinking hunter come on (laughs) but i mean that was was a decent that wasn't an awful guess because i was thinking pro tour winners that might not be might not have been up there although he might have won waco in 2019 so no he it doesn't matter i don't think he was in either of those. you know what i just straight up don't know because i don't know can i cheat and look at the next five list
1: you will probably pretty easily get it at that point yeah. You don't have a single guess?
0: I don't know the next five. Um, the Pro Tour top 10 is a the, mystery to me.
1: These players are not James that
0: Conrad difficult. James Conrad might be in the top 10, but he should have been in the top 20 in 2019. Okay, well,
1: if I will give you the next five, but this is going to make it incredibly easy. So you've missed this I've question. lost, yes. I agree. <laughs> the next five players are James Conrad, Drew Gibson, Adam Hammers, Ezra Aderhold, and Garrett Girthy.
0: So it's got to be Adam Hammers.
1: Yes. Ezra. Yes.
0: And I would we assume Double G? No, Drew. It's true. Double G is in there. He's like tenth. He was like tenth in the world. See, so that Adam Hansen and Ezra, I would I wouldn't expect to be on the top twenty, but I did not think they were in the top ten because Ezra's been having a little bit of a rough season overall. Yeah, he's in ninth right now.
1: He has a couple good finishes and he has a second place. Oh, the second place, yeah, the top three in a pro tour gives huge. you a lot of lot of yeah, points. It's absolutely massive. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I, there's no way I would have guessed that because. It would take me a long time to get around to Adam and Ezra. Ezra is a 10. tough one,
1: but Adam, we—I mean, we just talked about. I just mentioned on the last podcast that he was eighth, so I thought you may have a chance at that. And somebody tweeted at us about it yesterday that he was eighth.
0: I didn't see that tweet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just failed that one. <laughs> nice. That was a—I mean, did you look at the FPO at all?
1: Huh? I did not actually. That'll be next week, I guess. Alright, well now I can study I about. was very much under the gun this morning to come in at <laughs> seven and quickly find some trivia questions. It's okay.
0: I was up to like midnight planning this podcast last night to try to beat the construction that we still lost. Although it, so. I
1: will say I have a feeling well actually FPO might be pretty similar. There's quite a few new people on the scene since the last World
0: Rankings. You might you'd probably have to go top five, top ten yeah. on FPO. Because I would imagine if you go top ten, top twenty, there wouldn't be too many that have snuck in there.
1: It might be hard to f- for you to guess what the Pro Tour standings are, though. For I'm them. not going to yeah. look. <laughs> that's okay. what I'm saying. I
0: refuse to look beyond what my top five is. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine Kona and Missy probably weren't in the top 10 in yeah, 2019. that's true. I could be wrong, though. All right, now, the next thing I want to take a look at, as we've kind of briefly mentioned this a few different times, but Paige Pierce recently was interviewed on the Nick and Matt show. It was her first, like, podcast interview in a while that I know of. Yeah. She's done some interview with, like, the Pro Tour and stuff like that, but... She really opened up in this Nick and Matt Show interview. If you haven't listened to it yet, we're going to hit some of the talking points, but obviously uh, I don't have Paige's direct quotes here. I'm just going to kind of summarize what she was talking about. So I highly recommend uh, it's on the same YouTube channel, or you can find it if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, The Nick and Matt Show. Um, It's a Foundation Podcast Network podcast uh, hosted by Nick Carl and Matt Graham. The Paige interview is a great interview. It's also done the same episode as Aaron Gossage. So it's a great listen if you haven't already listened to it. I highly recommend checking it out um the first thing i'm gonna kind of circle back to the u.s women she had quite a bit to say about u.s women so i'm gonna try to finish that out with that because it'll transition us into the next topic but uh one thing that i didn't know is she obviously went to hawaii and missed two weeks right during Mm -hmm. those two weeks she missed uh nt at was it the ddo is that what she missed i believe so i think so and then she missed is it challenge at goat hill next Mm -hmm. so she missed the uh, NT in a silver series. Okay. Um, one thing I didn't know is she said that in a small way, she's kind of boycotting the national tour right now. Yeah. Uh, she didn't really say like, it's a big boycotts public, but her reasoning is she basically called out the PDG and said that she doesn't really think they care about the pros or the professional side of the sport. Uh, she challenged them to come out to the tournaments and said she doesn't really ever see them at the events. I would assume she means like the high, high up people because I usually have one guy, I believe it's uh, Mike Downs, who's out there representing them. But um, she said the Pro Tour does an amazing job. And after every event is putting out polls, asking the players what they did right, what they did wrong, what they could improve on, what they thought of the T-pads. That's cool. Everything. She said the PDGA has never done that. Right. So she kind of was basically saying, like, I'm a little fed up with PDGA. Um, yeah. And some of it also goes back to what we're going to talk about with her at U.S. Women's. But I thought it was very interesting Um to hear her kind of be like, yeah, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm boycotting the national tour a little bit right now. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this before, but now that we hear it from a very respectable person in the space, Paige Pierce, five-time world champ, does this farther... I mean, it has to, but does this farther like, ingrain in you that the PDGA just needs to cut ties to the national tour and let the pro tour take over?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's happening anyways, but I do... The PDGA, man, they're just a mystery because I do think the PDGA, like their money is really coming from the AMs. So like, I think that's where they put their focus, whatever that even means. Like, I'm not even really sure what they do, to be honest. I don't know. Like... I, I good for Paige for coming after them because here's another thing like what what can they do like what can they do to Paige for saying something like that nothing like yeah. her allegiance is to the pro tour that's the, those are the ones paying her like the PDGA like yeah I guess they could suspend her but that wouldn't go over well with anybody no so like good for her for speaking out I think more players should if they have problems with the PDGA like I I just don't like yeah like the fact that like she's saying like they don't even go like to majors or show up to anything like that.
0: I- she was kind of alluding to it, but I don't know. Again, I don't really know who she's talking about. I feel like that was more of a specific maybe toward to the board or something because I've been to plenty of majors, and usually there's several representatives of the PDGA there. Okay, uh, That is like some of their job, like the tour manager, stuff like that. Now, the only one I've seen like the uh, executive director of the PDGA, Joe, at is majors in Atlanta or in Appling, around the IDGC, or or Mm -hmm. even he comes to Worlds as well. Um, I feel like I've probably seen him at USDGC, but a lot of times it's like Southeast stuff. So maybe it's more towards him. I feel like that was a more directed point, but she didn't want to put a name on who she was talking about Mm -hmm. because the PDGA is definitely represented at these majors. I don't want it to sound like, and I don't think she would want it to sound like there's literally no one from the PDGA there.
1: But I mean, she kind of made it sound like that for this U.S. women's Some of her complaints
0: about U.S. women's, was, I have a hard time believing that the PDGA has been out there.
1: Because, yeah, she said, like, she was asking if they had even seen the courses that they yeah.
0: put out. which that one, it, that's a, we'll get into that in a second because that's a whole different mystery. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I that when she was talking about some of this stuff, I was like, holy cow, like, props to you, Paige, because, like, yeah, w- what you're saying is true. Like, what can the PDGA really do? But at the same time, it's a big part of her livelihood, playing professional disc golf. For well, sure. And being willing to be, like, Point out things well, where you nobody see else it is really up.
1: doing it publicly, at least. So, yeah. like, I, I think it, like, well,
0: we've seen Paul call him out before a little bit too. Yeah,
1: disc golfers need to when there are issues with like these governing bodies and if there's issues with the pro tour or whatever, like they've got to be vocal about it because like, that's going to force change the pro tour. Well, that's what it, I really
0: it, like about what she said is like the pro tour seems to provide an avenue for right. the players to speak. Their exactly.
1: Minds. And they, they're the type of group where we've already seen, like if there's things that even if the fans want to change, like they change it, like the all-star format, we all thought it stunk. Not very long after they announced next year's all-star format is going to be what we want it to be. We all talked about it, tour cards they're trying to do the tour card thing. Like the the pro tour is very they much got their ear to the ground. Right, exactly. Which is what you have to do because that is how you're going to get successful. Is if you're you're providing what the players what the players want first, and then also listening to the fans. So.
0: Well, it also helps like PR of the pro tour because if mm-hmm. like let's say that Paige is ticked off of the pro tour or something, she has an avenue to directly talk to who she wants to talk to and knows who to talk to
1: without blasting them, without
0: around. having to like come out because all, she said like right now she's like. I don't even know who to reach out to about half this stuff with the PDGA. So that's why she's like kind of being public about it. She's like, I want to talk to someone at the PDGA, but like, I don't even know who to talk to. Yeah, that's bad. And so that's where to me, I was like, well, props to the pro tour for providing these avenues. Cause I'm fairly certain it's like a player only Facebook group that like some of the most of the top players are in to where they can post like, Hey, cause I, I remember um, there was something with the pro tour finale or uh, tour championship a few years ago where they had like move locations and stuff. And they were, like, literally, like, letting the players know weeks in advance of the public knowing, like, hey, this is what's possibly coming down the pipeline. What do you think of this change versus this change? Like, the yeah. players are just all commenting their feedback so that they can make an educated change mm-hmm. versus the PDGA adding a fourth major. And I being was like, just about to say. Boom, players yeah, suck it. Like, yeah. I mean come like, on like i hope
1: you guys like the the new match play forum we just did yeah. like instead of actually gauging i hope you enjoy playing interest. two
0: rounds of golf that aren't going to mean anything yeah um yeah versus the pro tour it sounds like they would have been posting in that group like hey here's what we're thinking about adding as an event what do you think of these formats here's a poll to put up like let your let us your opinion be known to where if a player is like the pro tour doesn't listen to us the pro tour would be like no like you just don't respond to anything we're asking so the player would never say that um so i was very impressed with the Paige being willing to say that she also showed some displeasure in the rating system with the PDGA, but for a different reason than we've ever talked about. Cause her reasoning is she's like, basically when COVID shut down and everything and it kind of reset her rating, whatever. And then she had like two bad tournaments in a row or a few bad tournaments in a row. She's like, it literally just erased four years of my work. Yeah. That was, that was her displeasure. Yeah. I don't Cause she was basically like, I've been working towards this for so long and some could argue that the, the reason she was able to get to 996 is the same reason she's upset with is because it erased four years right. of her work. She was, <laughs> um, but it is a good point because she's like, if this is, if the rating is supposed to be an overall average of what I'm able to do, then I don't know. There's the more you like look into it. There's a lot of things. And I, like, I'm not smart enough to know the mathematical <laughs> answers as to why things should be different ways. But she makes a valid point there.
1: Yeah, I don't. I I do like understand that like she was shooting for that thousand rated and like that would have been historical for the FPO. But like at the same time, like if you're a pro, especially like the top of the women's game, like you really should not be concerned about ratings. Well, the,
0: the issue is, and I'll always say this,
1: just because everybody talks, everyone about talks it. about ratings. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to lead by example though. If you start, if you if all but the top-
0: everyone is measuring her worth and everything based on like. her rating if she would have got to a thousand rated it would have a been a huge money-making thing for her b it would have been a huge like it would have put her in history of disc golf because of how much weight is put on the pros
1: control that narrative though because they don't yes they do if every single every time there's a ratings update ricky and eagle and whoever are posting a big old graphic on their instagram talking about how awesome their new rating is if every single top pro in the men's field like the top 20 all publicly said that they do not care about ratings and never posted about them ever again and just forgot that acted like they don't even exist if they all agreed that like we are done with ratings people would stop caring about them. I guess if it was a collective it would full have to, top yeah thing. it would have to start it would start at the top it would take a few players like really like convincing the others like hey we need to stop like talking about ratings it could happen. They control yeah. the narrative.
0: I mean, I guess fans are always yeah. going to care a little bit. Well, that's why I like the idea of you get to a thousand and your rating just turns to a thousand plus. I agree. Kind of like because every every golfer on the PGA tour, you know, is scratcher better. Yeah. Well, the ones a lot that, that the
1: ones that are going to finish in any kind of relevant spot, at least.
0: I feel. I mean, do you think you can make? Are you a talking, PGA? About, oh, talking about the PGA tour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah yes. I'm saying yes. they're all. There's no way they're on there not right. scratcher better. And thousands yes. thousand is technically supposed to be scratch. Right. Yes. So you would know. The top players in the world, yeah, they're better than Scratch. They're great. Yes. And that way, a player like me, where I'm like 970 or 60 or something, I still see my rating. And I still have something to shoot for. Yeah. Because the four digits is what like you always shoot for in disc golf. Yeah. Because then it still allows us to see the round ratings, to use that. Because that's a good stat Yeah. when you compare it within just the a tournament going on. The PGA, but I guess you can just use the score. The
1: PGA controls people with the amount of value that is placed on ratings because... It, it adds so much value to their sanctioning of events. Like that is, say whatever you want, there are so many people that only care about an event being sanctioned because of the ratings. No, absolutely. That is absolutely it. And I understand why the ratings are fun, because it, as a player who is maybe just an AM or is not really thinking they're going to cash and they're looking for something to gauge their improvement on, it's a fun way to track like, how you're doing, but the, it's just so inaccurate <laughs> that, like, it's almost... It has the negative effect because it can be so discouraging when you just go to an event and you finally play well and the ratings are just awful. Yeah. Like, I mean, we would... In college, the best round I ever played in my life in college, and you you won this event at SECO, you shot a round that should have been probably 1030, 1040 rated, and it was, like, 980. Bec- just because of the field and the way the ratings work, like, it can... The ratings are awful. They're they're awful. Like I would rather see them just eradicated from the sport than than exist in the way they do now. Yes, I do agree though that the thousand plus thing would solve a lot of problems.
0: Yeah, well, I think because like even back to Paige's, uh point of like. I don't know. Another thing with rating is it it decides a lot of like what you can and can't do, especially on the AM side. There's like certain ratings caps of when you can and can't play. Right. Um, and that and and there's also like the Pro Tour right now. Any Elite Series event, the minimum caps 900. That should obviously there should be a lot of different ways to qualify, but it's going to be a tour as of yeah as of right now. The rating decides a lot, yet. It's a total average, so it doesn't really show what you're actually capable of. Yeah. Because there were a time, there was a time in my disc golf career before I retired, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, yeah. But there was a time where if I played my absolute best golf, I could shoot 1030 some. Yeah. But if I played my bad golf, I could shoot 920. Yeah. So if I went into an, I wasn't an AM at the time, but I, my rating wise, I could have been. I was like 970. If I went into an AM event as a 970 rated player, and then I shot my great golf then I was going to destroy the field right? because I'd be shooting like 1,000-some rated. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was a tournament it was, as a pro. I, I lost to Matt Hammerson, but I averaged 1030-some rated golf yeah. across the tournament. I played out of my mind all three rounds, right? So what Brody has said before, and I think the more I hear, think about it, the more it kind of makes sense is that it should almost, if we want to keep ratings, it should almost be like uh, the standard deviation or something that should change to where it shows more what you're capable of. Than right. what your average is, right? So that way you don't have someone who's nine thirty or forty rated, but is able to shoot a thousand rated golf playing intermediate, and then a screwing the whole intermediate division because they just pop off a weekend and win by thirty, b screwing the whole rating system because now you have like a nine thirty rated player shooting ten twenty rated golf, yeah. and the PDJ isn't going to let them shoot ten twenty rated golf. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one though I, too. I didn't want to talk about ratings. Yeah,
1: it's a tough one. My last point would be like because like in ball golf the handicap system like you turn in scorecards with witnesses you kind of control your destiny on your handicap a little more because like it's not you know you're not doing it in like competitive events like you're kind of just like having witnesses and like getting a signed scorecard and submitting it to a course but the a little bit of the issue is like in ball golf you can't really shoot a fluky like you, I think you have to do 5 rounds for a handicap that might be wrong but I think it is you can't really shoot like five fluky good rounds and like, but in in disc golf, I feel like somebody could like can like fluky string together like ten thirty rated golf just because they're at the right tournament at the right course. In ball golf, like no matter where you are, just that just doesn't really happen. Like you can't really like fluke and all of a sudden shoot a round that's like on par with rating as like it's like if you were to go get a handicap and you fluke a, your best rounds your life and that your handicap is the same as Tiger Woods because somebody could like go out there and fluke. A few 1040 rated rounds when they're not that good, and like that's the same rating as like the top. That's like that player three players who in the world
0: showed up to a Texas weekly right, and, and was it, the 6th highest rated player in the world. Right. It's it's just things like s- that. are where system I'm like, is just so busted. It's well, so bad. And I can guarantee you, we're not getting rid of the ratings anytime soon. No. Because Heck of how no. much the PDGA paid oh, to have the rating system. Yeah. I saw it on a Facebook comment somewhere. I believe it's pretty accurate because of who said it. It was close to a million dollars mm-hmm. over a certain amount of years. I think that the PDGA paid. They know how important well, actually, I can't it even is. Say the PDGA paid. We, the listeners and the PDGA members, yeah. are continually paying for this rating system. That more and more people are being vocal about. Like, hey,
1: where's our money going?
0: <laughs> more and more people are being like, hey, I don't really know if this makes sense at the level we use it at. Yeah. And so I can guarantee you, we can talk and talk and talk till our faces blue about the ratings. It's not going anywhere. No there's no way uh page also brought up a pretty good point towards the end she was talking about how much she valued her sponsors and thanking them and she went to a little bit of a rant on sponsorship um and brought up basically how players going into being sponsored need to know what they're worth now this is also going to tie into a brody interview on the nick and matt show because brody brought up a good point of he basically alluded to the current disc golf market right now of imagine trying to sell your house yeah. on the real estate market with there being no real estate agents. Right. So or in like every other house contract is under an NDA.
1: So you don't know what, so it how is.
0: would you know what your house that's is worth? That's exactly right. Yeah. You'd have no clue. Um, that's kind of what the disc golf market is right now. But Paige was basically saying like, if you know, and she equated it to like a, a hourly job. She's like, if you know your skills and everything are worth $25 an hour and you show up and the company offers you 15, and it's like, we're well, we going to eventually get you to 25. She's like, don't say yes to that. Don't settle just to wear someone's logo on your back. Yeah. She's like, because in disc golf, I feel like it was the same uh, kind of like skateboarding and like any kind of sport like this. People, everyone it. wants to be sponsored. Yeah. Like being able to wear a team logo on your back. You just feel like even if you're on a street team, you feel like the, like if you can show up and you got team prodigy on your back, no one knows you're on a street team. That's the whole point. You feel like the sickest person walking out there shooting 920 rated golf. Right. I've been there. Yeah. But everyone wants to be sponsored. And she's basically saying on the pro side, on the pro, like a higher level, if everyone is just saying yes to like free stuff, because yeah. Brody also talked about this with sponsorships. And we, we have faced this with podcast sponsors and video sponsors, where there's a lot of people who, for a video, for instance, if you just send them free product, they'll do a full video on your product because, frick, I just got a free thing out of it. Right. They don't realize what that promotion's worth for the company. So then mm-hmm. the company goes to person A and is like, hey, here's this product. Boom. You know, that person has 5,000 subscribers. Here's this product. Free. Go to the person with 10,000 subscribers. Here's this product. Boom. They got, it, they got the promotion for free. And then they go to us, 50-some thousand subscribers. And we're like, yeah, that'll be X amount of dollars. Yeah, to promote it, they're like, "What the? No, I yeah. just gave it to X, Y, it. and Z for free." Like, yeah, go, you know, no, get out of here. And then it's just like, well, what the heck? So now, how do X, Y, and Z, as they grow, ever expect to make money? Yeah, and it's the same thing with because Brody was talking about it on the social media side. Paige is talking about it on the professional sponsorship side, where she's like, if you're just like, oh, sick, I can throw uh, Daredevil discs for five thousand dollars a year. And you're moving, and you're worth forty five thousand, and you say yes to it, then when you know the next company, when they go to the next player who's a little bit better than you, they're gonna expect to pay ten thousand when that player is worth a hundred thousand, right? And it's like, what the heck?
1: Yeah, it's it's all skewed, and I like the biggest problem too. Like now, everything's getting really weird now because now the only like notable public contract is Paul's contract, which is such a unique contract that probably never happened again, and or at least in the format that it's in. I'm not saying there won't be a contract for more money than that. Um, And it's such an outlier right now. There is nobody even close to making that kind of money based on what we know about people's contracts which that's the other thing too is contracts are so like he said she said and it's through, you the, grapevine. through the grapevine so yeah you never
0: know if what you it's like the telephone game
1: right but i think we know enough to understand a little bit about what p- people are making on tour and there are definitely people that are getting gypped super super badly. yeah
0: and they might not know and I, it's like what brody was saying without a manager right who the manager now has a wide portfolio of 10 players Or there's three managers and they all talk to each other where they know, hey, I just got James Conrad this deal at X amount per year, and now I've got like a comparable player and Kevin Jones. You know what I mean? And they're both managing them. Kevin and James might never talk business and talk numbers, but now they have the same manager or connection of managers to where, hey, Kevin, which I don't know if all this is completely made-up scenario, so don't take this as any truth. But like, hey, Kevin, you're getting way underpaid. You know what I mean? I just got James this contract. We need to renegotiate your contract. Because now there's a middleman who knows those numbers. Yeah. Uh, That's going to be crucial.
1: Agents are going to be big. But the other thing, like the thing with agents is they can't get involved in the sport. And like good agents that aren't in disc golf won't try to get involved in disc golf until there's enough money being made that they can just take an agent's fee and live off of that. Yeah.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. I've talked to um, some of our listeners have connections to different sports agencies. Yeah. uh, And one of them in particular... I've talked to about everything under the sun from Bitcoin to social media to sports agencies. And he has connections to a rather notable sports agency. And I told him like, Hey, you know, I talked to Paul and Brody. If your agency's open to representing them as a disc golfer, like they'd be open to talking and they the sports agency response was basically like, we're just not interested in getting disc golf right now. Like the, it's, it wouldn't make enough sense financially for us to do it. Sure, yeah. And then Paul signs the 10 year, $10 million deal that might've wreaked like, Change their mind a little bit. I don't it's know. Just an outlier. But until that, they're till like that's you know you can represent ten people and they're all doing yeah. that. And the thing is, that too, makes, then it'll make it a little. You more You can't.
1: Fit. And the other thing is that isn't there yet is as an agent, you're not just making your living off of the fee you're taking off of the contract you negotiated. You're getting, you're negotiating other endorsement deals. Yeah, and those are outside of disc golf, like. Now, Paul, we've seen with, like, the Celsius promotion, and obviously...
0: That's just a social media promotion, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it's an actual sponsorship.
1: Right, but that's a deal that, like, an agent can negotiate yes. and get a fee from. So, yes. like, that is, that is like...
0: But that's a different agent.
1: Not necessarily, no.
0: A lot of times. <laughs> like, LeBron. I mean, you can probably use the same one.
1: Yeah, but, like, I mean, in disc golf, like, it would probably just be one guy.
0: But what I'm saying right now is if Paul went out to find an agent... He could probably, with his size and everything, find a social media agent right now pretty easily. That social media agent, though, because that's like Brody has a social media agent. Yeah. That social media agent, though, wouldn't be used to selling a sports player in the sports world. Yeah. So I think it's two different ballgames because there's going to be some disc golfers. Simon's probably in the same boat where they can go out and get a social media agent to sell to outside brands. But selling them as a player... Is a whole different ball game, so that's where I think there, there's almost two. Now, a sports agent could probably cross over into social media right. a lot easier than the other way. That's what I'm saying. But you almost like it's going to be hard to find. Disc golf's not big enough money wise, or might not be publicly big enough money wise yet for players to be finding these sports agents yeah. that can also go to their social media. Yeah, I agree. I with think that. it's big enough social media wise right now because I mean. On a hundred thousand small scale yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean obviously you might find
1: somebody that's just doing freelance social media agency or like a, it's a company i don't
0: know yeah you could yeah a comp like uh yeah. there's some companies online that you can just like fill out your own profile and they'll act as your social media right. agent where they just kind of send you right. links here and there to, hey uh i don't know some type of mug mean mug wants to sponsor a video with you yeah. you know what i mean that type of thing that's definitely disc golf's definitely there uh, let's look at the tournament coming up this weekend. The first professional major of the year. Everyone's been calling it the first major of the year and just completely acting like college nationals doesn't exist. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, uh, whose fault is that? College nationals. The media's. The media, man. Yeah. It's all the media's fault. <laughs> Everything's the media's fault. Wait, are we the media? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we suck. Um, <laughs> but U.S. women's, the first professional major, the first, I mean, I'm not going to call it the first real major because I don't want to discredit college nationals like that. um the second major of the year u.s women's uh in the interview this was a pretty big contention for Paige because it's what's going on the the fpo at the u.s women's is playing three rounds across three courses i want to tackle two different things here first thing before we get to the three courses side what are your thoughts on a three round major
1: uh definitely a bummer like i don't I don't like it. I don't. I don't think it's like. Hmm. I mean, this is U.S. Women. This should be four rounds. Yeah. I just don't. It's a major. Yeah. I I don't like it. My
0: thing, a major title.
1: We've already. If the sport has already set the example that the biggest events have four rounds, then like you really need to keep the pace with that.
0: That's what I'm thinking in my head. Is like, it's a major. The winner of this will be a major champion. Go down in history. There should be zero chance that it's a fluke zero chance right yeah this tournament is set up for a pretty solid chance of a fluke win not saying whoever wins will but three rounds a it's a little bit of a shorter tournament Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i think four rounds that additional rounds gives yet another chance for the top players right at the top Mm -hmm. b it's three rounds at three courses so players and there was a pro tour last weekend so players are just now getting into town yeah, the tournament probably starts on Friday, I believe. Uh, so players are just now getting in town. They have Monday through Thursday, four days to fully learn three courses. Yeah, and then they have to play one round at each course, so they can't even like reevaluate and go in, go back. That's you're bad. not, you're not setting a player up for success, and this is what Paige is very upset about. And she called out the PDGA, and she said, and to be honest with you, I fully agree with her in this. She said, if this was a men's major, this wouldn't happen. Yeah. And you know she's what? All right. Sometimes like stuff like that'll get said and you're like, "Eh, is that true? This is true." Yeah. I like imagine if this was USDGC. And and also, not even not only that, cuz she was like, "Have you guys even been out here?" because she's posting on her Instagram story where hole 12 at one of the courses plays like straight ahead, right? And then you walk back to the right for hole 13 and it plays straight across the same fairway. Yeah. There's intersecting fairways. That's like course course design 101. Don't cross. Fairways. You don't cross fairways <laughs> yeah. for safety's sake, and you're doing it in a major. Yeah. So now you're just asking for backups because know. they're gonna wait for each other. It's just the whole U.S. Very
1: thing is like I don't. I really wish that U.S. women's was just like collaborative with U.S. DGC.
0: Well, that's what like I it confused me at the beginning of the season. We've Which been tracking the throw, the throw pink. pink women's disc golf championship. They've been tracking the spots, the qualifying. It's been a big deal.
1: Yeah. Because, like, that's the one I'm, like, really interested in.
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost more of a storyline than U.S. women's. So why is it not the major? Right. Why is it only an eight-tier?
1: And I don't have a problem with there being a women's-only major. Like, that's great. But, like, yeah. they should probably not make it the U.S. women's when Like, we, con- we associate U.S. like majors with the USDGC. Well, no,
0: I'm fine with it being U.S. women's. It's just...
1: I don't know. I think it's confusing.
0: Well, I think just make it happen at USDGC i understand it's not like a women's only major Well, then what happens se? to the throw pink thing
1: that's a usdgc i think
0: you turned that into the okay. last year it was the women's nationals
1: well the reason but but innova owns that and that's why they're using wind i like, understand it that there's but there's a bureaucratic if crossover there's any there
0: major because right now the usdgc other than the throw pink women's for years usdgc has been a men's only major or yeah. a, a mixed mixed pro open only major mpo yeah. doesn't say for men it stands for mixed uh It's been a mixed pro open only major. So, pretty much men's only. Paige, Des Redding, Katrina Allen, I think, Aline King. There's only a handful of women's ever qualified for it. Um, Why not? They've already proven that they can run the most prestigious major in our sport. Yeah. Why not let the women be a part of that? Why not add the FPO field like the Throw Pink Women's and let... Enova do what Enova does at USDGC, which is put on one heck of a major, yeah. a very prestigious major at a very prestigious course that everyone knows it's only one course. It's going to be up to the standards and make that the women's major. Yeah. The well, US this women's. is this is
1: PGA's second flop idea in a row with majors. First, that awful match play idea with the men's, like fourth major or whatever. And now this, like a major... Well, this
0: isn't a flop of an idea. It's a flop of an no, execution. Not, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Where... It's a flop of an idea in the idea that it's three rounds and three different courses. It should be four rounds at one course, maybe two.
0: If it's four rounds, I'm cool with two. Two
1: is fine, but but I'd I'd prefer one and three and three, criminal. Yeah, three and three,
0: there's... Even four rounds in three ter- three courses not is good. not good. Yeah. Three courses should never be it's happening in a major, it, elite yeah. series either.
1: There's just a sweet spot in golf. Like I agree, I don't want the old like worlds formats where like we're playing seven rounds and a final nine no. and a billion but different courses. One
0: thing you can say about those, which we've talked about it somewhat, before, the best player did the win. Best <laughs> player won. I'm very curious. Uh, we'd have to go back and actually look through four rounds how many times Paul would be a world champion or even Climo would be a world champion if they were only playing four rounds?
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: How many times are those extra two or three rounds? Cause Paul like in, uh, um, the Pittsburgh worlds, he was out of it through the first like two or three and then went like course record, course record, course record to dominate. Yeah. But if you cut that to four, I don't know. I don't know. It, it That's completely irrelevant. This major though, It's a big disappointment, and I hope more and more people speak out about it. Because right now, the only person I've heard making a lot of noise about it is Paige. Um, Three courses, three rounds, unacceptable for a major. It sounds like some of the courses might not be up to what a major standard should be. And then the other problem that I have more with majors in general is, because we were talking about this, because she had mentioned Pro Worlds only had two bids for people to run it. you're like what the heck why why is that and then i started thinking about it and i was like you know we've talked about before putting up a bid for like am worlds or pro worlds or something like that but part of the reason we haven't done it is the pressure of running a major like i don't because obviously if we put up the bid i would be the quote-unquote td you'd have a full td staff but yeah that's a lot of pressure and a lot to undertake and you have two years to prepare for pro worlds i think that our parks and rec i think bedford parks and rec and i think a lot of people that would be the support system are ready they're you know they'd be some of the best the sport could have and like i'd love to be able to show that off yeah but having just random people like i've never run i've never even run an eight tier. so for me to jump in like i think i could do it but to jump in head first into a, a professional major that's a big ask and then i started thinking about it, i'm like why why is that even an ask yeah why is it why is the pga not the ones running this. Yeah. It should
1: should probably be a a committee that runs like a thing like worlds, because it's one thing if you're like, okay, I'm going to take on running this major and like, it's going to be my job. And my job is going to be each year to run this specific major to where you feel like you can build prestige around an event and really create something that lasts in disc golf. But if it's just a one off thing and you might be remembered as a guy who ran that awful world, then like, yeah, it's what? Why on earth are you doing that? Like, I get, like, it's cool to be able to say, yeah, I was a tournament director for worlds this year. But like,
0: and obviously, there'd be a lot of support. You know, I know uh, Robert Leonard, for instance, I think he's the TD of that fourth major. Um, But I don't want to throw him under the bus with that because he's just the TD. Yeah. Uh, but he has done a lot of like assistant TDing and helping with majors. So, for instance, if the if Worlds is actually here, I'm fully confident Robert Leonard would come up and basically not run it, but I could lean on him to make sure it's ran correctly. But it's still a big ask for. I'm just keep putting myself in that scenario for my name to be listed as a TD for major, for Worlds, to where I think yeah. that is a big hindrance because that's realistically all that's stopping us. Because mm-hmm. like I just don't th- I don't want to do it right now. I'm yeah. just not in the shoes to do it. I think that's probably true of a lot of people, but like if the PDGA was like, hey, you put up your bid for the courses, obviously I know the PDGA goes through a screening right. process of we'll come check them out. It should really but be... But it should be like, we'll come check it out. And then if you get the yes, we already have the structure. We already right. know how it's ran. We've been a part of every world championship ever. We're also going to provide the TD. because so the... you just get the courses and everything ready. Right. We'll show up two weeks beforehand and make sure everything runs smoothly.
1: It should really be like, the reason you should really be bidding is it's like a tourism thing? Like, yeah. it should be like Bedford County should be the ones like we want worlds. We want to put in the bid for worlds because we have these public properties that our courses are on. Like, it should really be like that kind of situation. Because, like, well,
0: that's the, that's the core of it. I think that's what the PDJ wants it to be. But what it turns into is then it puts a lot of pressure on the club right. and whoever the TD is exactly. to execute. Yeah where that's where I think the biggest hindrance is. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, like, for Bedford Parks and Rec is the perfect example. I am 100% confident that they could provide the tour, the, like, a world's quality courses and maintenance and all of that. Yeah, I'm just not 100% confident that I slash the support staff that we could get to get. We've never ran a tournament that big. Yeah. So it's a big ask. And I think that's where we see things like this kind of coming in. Although Paige wanted to be sure that she didn't put... Any of the blame on the TD because she said this is like three or four years in a row now that this is what we've dealt with. yeah And so she's like, it's not a TD issue. It's clearly the governing body issue. And that's why she was coming back at the PDGA with it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's more people need to talk about this. That's three rounds across three courses is unacceptable, unacceptable for any major, period. I think it's unacceptable for even an A tier on the pro level. I think it's great for AMs because. One of the draws of AMS, is you get to check out new courses and sure, play a bunch yeah. of rounds. Sure. Uh, but for a major, for pros, heck no. And I think, in this case, I fully agree with her. I do not think that this would happen if it was a MPO or a mixed major. You wouldn't see three rounds, three courses at Worlds. Yeah. You wouldn't see it. Never. You wouldn't see three rounds, three courses at USDGC or the European Open or anything like that. So why are we seeing at U.S. women's? Yeah. Don't know. But we do want to talk about predictions. For what we're going to see this weekend, I am going to go ahead and predict Katrina Allen is going to take this down. I think mainly because I think Paige is just going to be fed up with the event by the time it starts.
1: Yeah, I can't. That's what I was kind of trying to decide if that her anger was going to be a good thing or a bad thing.
0: That's all I think. And then I think Paige is still going to come in second. I think she's too good of a golfer for it to fully throw her out of it. Yeah, and I'll put Sarah Hokum in sneaky third.
1: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Paige can still win, and then Kat in second, and Haley King, I think, is going to sneak in third. I almost put her in third.
0: Yeah. No. Uh, she was not at the OTB Open, but she's back at U.S. Women. So mm-hmm. it'll definitely be interesting to see how she performs. But it's time to wrap the show up with Make That Call. So here you go, Trevor. All right. You're playing a course for a tournament. And the OB is defined by like plastic fence posts, right? Like, you know, those thin ones um, that kind of like stand up and have a little bit of like give to them. It's important for the story like where have i seen these they're not technically like fence at manita i think they have some they're just like they're like a little thick and they stand straight up and they kind of have like some give to them is it actually like, it's like a, it a it's f- more like it's not like a fence fence but it's more like a marking type thing
1: okay just like a little post. yeah okay
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it's not little it's like four feet tall okay just picture that in your head okay a little bit of a flexible piece of plastic sticking in the ground that's sure. what's used to define the ob line okay okay so it's defined by that plastic fencing that has some flex to it you throw a hyzer out over OB. When it comes back in, it hits the back of a fence post, flexing it towards the inbounds, and then flings, and then flings it, it back
1: OB. Oh my gosh. All right. That's Does hilarious. that count as
0: your disc crossing inbounds for you to take it up there where it hit the fence post? Oh or gosh. would it be crossed where the initial throw of the hyzer went OB?
1: So here's the thing. Because like obviously you could be like, well, the disc was never on the right side of the th- fence, but I think the OB... And I I know, I'm pretty sure the OB is defined by the bottom of that post. So, in theory, when the disc flexed, are we saying that it flexed enough that the disc got to the other side of the bottom of the post? The disc would have crossed the plane. Right. So, yeah, for sure it crossed in. Crossed in and then went back out. You're you would f- think. You would think. There ain't no way. The, PGA the PDGA is so The PDGA's dumb. answer to this question They picked said, the wrong day to, to, to pick a dumb call like that. <laughs> the
0: PDGA's answer to the question on their QA section says the fence defines an OB plane which flexes as the fence flexes. Unless the disc has penetrated and remained lodged within the fence, the fence is considered to be a continuous and penetrable surface. Your disc was not in bounds at any point when it struck the fence.
1: What are you t- – the bottom of the fence isn't flexing though.
0: It's basically saying that like this whole surface uh, – Yeah, it goes like this. And where does the bottom go? Oh, I agree with you. It's, just, it's just saying like since your disc never – like it's saying that this is – this, this, you have bounds. to get
1: like past the wall essentially. Like, if you
0: hit the inside of it where you're disc crossed,
1: oh my gosh, that's so dumb. That's incredibly dumb. I mean, I mean that's the answer. To the here's problem. the bottom line is that's probably, I don't know if that's ever happened. Maybe that might have happened one time in the and history of disc And you know what? If golf. it did
0: happen, I guarantee you the card's giving you that spot. Yeah. If everyone saw it flex in, that is it a, might be the quote unquote incorrect that's call, a pathetically but
1: pathetically bad ruling by the PDGA. That's, no one's, no that one's that making that
0: call. Awful. I, even now that I know it. If I saw it happen to someone, I still wouldn't call them. I still would be like, yeah, you crossed in. Because I'd be like,
1: that was the most unlucky thing ever, too, because you were obviously fading in before yeah. the stupid four foot tall pole ruined it yeah. like why are you marking your ob with that in the first place <laughs> oh my god that's so bad <laughs> there you have it everyone I hopefully you
0: enjoyed so... this episode of grip locked be sure to leave us a review if you're listening on apple Podcasts. if you're listening here on youtube like the video and subscribe turn on the post notification so you don't miss when any of our podcasts go live i also heard a rumor of another new one starting that i think you guys are really gonna like and by heard a rumor i mean it's starting I don't know why I heard a rumor. I, I control the channel. <laughs> uh, so you're going to really enjoy that one. Not sure when the official start date is going to be, but uh, be sure to stay tuned for all of that, and we will talk to you all next week.